You don't get rich making video games. You want to get rich, start a religion, and then make a game about that. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we talk about Cult of the Lamb, an adorable management sim where you collect resources and set up a farm for all the followers of your cult who worship you without question. But it's like super cute. I'm Batty Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. 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 It's us again. We're Welcome back. back. Welcome it's nice back. to see you both. Hey, guys, before we start, I just got to show you a special something. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I can't do this again. <laughs> it was twins. Yeah, I was no, say, I can't. It would have to be twins okay. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's twins, and Jason keeps the twin a secret for their entire life, and that's like oh a huge part God. of their upbringing. Identi- it's identical twins, and then, uh-huh. yeah, in like 20 years... <laughs> I, I meet your son and your other identical son. prestige. <laughs> <laughs> I would find some good way. Yeah, I would do like a prestige style magic yeah, trick yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to totally. do it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> terrible. Um, I look terrible. forward to that in 20 years. Anyway, welcome to our show about magic <laughs> and the killing of various birds, butterflies, it all in our magical tricks. Just kidding. Yes, it's a yes. video game podcast. Uh, <laughs> we have... A few things to get to right off the top. Uh, instead of talking about Maximum Fun, how about this? I'll say first, on September 8th, we have a little homework deadline for anybody who wants to participate in some homework with us. Start we reading your reading, notes now. We are reading a gamer novel. I've started it. We've all started it by now. We're all yes. enjoying I it finished so far. It. It's great. Oh, wow. Okay. Congratulations. I'm, I'm, I've merely started it and I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, so nice. Gabrielle Zavin wrote a book called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. It is about game developers, people who make games. It's a novel. And we are all reading it and finishing it by the September 8th episode. And we're going to spoil it. We're going to spill the beans. So if you want to read along, please do. And speaking of spilling the beans... That's like the thing we do on this show. It's kind of our gimmick. <laughs> we like spoil stuff and spill the beans, but usually we only do it for people who are maximum fun members, That's which true. means you would go, you would tippy tappy into your URL address bar. You'd be like maximumfun.org slash join. And then you'd click a bunch of other stuff and you'd become a max fun member <laughs> for works, $5 what a month. Do we, what do you get if you tippy tappy you your way there? You get... You get Beans casts and you get Beans talks, <laughs> which are our <laughs> bonus episodes, monthly bonus episodes. So you get this big backlog of them. But this month we are recording an episode about all six wonderful seasons of Better Call Saul, a really cool television show about Indeed. a lawyer that I enjoyed watching without ever having seen any episodes of Breaking Bad. And we are going to spoil all of it. <laughs> and if you're wondering how Maddie felt about that, you just have to sign up, become a member today and listen. Yeah, to how did guys. I you manage do. that? How did I get away with that? Um, Kirk and Jason watched Breaking Bad. I didn't. Anyway, become a Max Fun member. Join up and uh, get those bonus sodes. Um, so that's that's it. That's that's the whole episode. Just nice, kidding. That's it's it. not. We're done. All right. See you next time. <laughs> see you next time. So today, we are going to talk about a video game. It's been a while, right? We all play the we same are. thing. We all play the sometimes, same video game. Sometimes it's we play video games. A triple play. A triple play. Yeah, triple play. Three people 
all played a video game. We all played Cult of the Lamb. So this is a adorable meets grotesque video game. It's an indie game published by Devolver Digital. Does it still count as an indie game if Devolver publishes it? There are certainly debates about that that I've seen on the internet, but I'm going to call it an indie game. Massive Monster is the developer, and it just came out in early August on the 11th. It's available for pretty much every platform. I played it on PC, uh, but it's also on Switch, Xbox, PS4, PS5, and I've played it for about 15 hours, haven't beaten it, uh, easily could have played it for the rest of my life because <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, it's addictive in a very specific kind of way. So Cult of the Lamb, you play as a lamb. At the beginning of the game, you are a lamb who's being sacrificed. You could as, say maybe <laughs> a sacrificial lamb. A sacrificial lamb. <laughs> lamb is the kind of lamb, the adorable little walking, talking lamb that you are playing as. And you narrowly escape. I mean, I guess you don't escape. You do get sacrificed. Right. But then you make a deal with the devil or some sort of demon uh, called the one who waits. And that that demonic, uh, godlike entity says that they will let you have life again as long as you create a cult in their name. So you do that because who wouldn't agree this is a video game. You have to agree to that sort of thing. <laughs> and thus thus begins a delightful management sim where you have to recruit cult members and make sure they're happy, healthy. You have to scoop their poop for them for a very long time. Poop <laughs> scooping is a huge part of this game. And in between taking care of your cult, you are also going on crusades, which are sort of Hades-like uh, isometric battles, mm-hmm. although not quite as precise as Hades. We can get into that. Uh, you don't get to pick your weapon. They tell you, the game tells you what weapon you're going to pick, and you uh, knock out baddies, collect resources, slowly defeat various elder gods and beings of the forest, and bring all of your resources back to your cult, where you keep on leveling it up. And maybe you do that for the rest of your life. I don't know. I never beat this game because I started to think maybe I had a problem where I couldn't stop playing it and I was worried about myself. (laughs) But I want to know what you two think about this game. Jason, what do you think about Cult of the Lamb so far? Um, I actually found it pretty easy to stop playing. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, because you don't have any brain problems. (laughs) Well, I do with with some things. I mean, there's a reason I finished Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, like just in in a single weekend. Um, Sure. But uh, but yeah, no, it's an interesting game. I really liked it at first, but I think it's the type of game that because it's trying to mash together this management sim and this roguelike action game, it winds up uh, kind of, it doesn't really go in depth with either side as much as it could. And so both of them wind up feeling a little bit shallow once you've played for a few hours, um, especially the action part, the roguelike part. Um, mm-hmm. And Maddie, I think w- what you got at in your intro kind of distilled th- my biggest problem with the game, which is uh, that you are presented with this kind of fake out of a choice every time you start a new quest, a new mission, a new adventure, um, where you see a little icon that's a weapon and you have to go up to it and pick it up. And next to it is another icon that's a spell that you go and pick it up. Um, and you have to do this every time you start a new mission. And there isn't actually an 
option there. It, it, it kind of is presented in a way that would make you think like, oh, I get to choose between these two weapons for this loadout, and I can see which which playstyle I prefer, which one seems more powerful to me on a given on a given run. But no, it's just one. It's like one weapon, and that's it. Um, and that kind of sums up what this what the the action part of it is. It's very light. It's very choice free. It's very consequence free. And and as a result, it's not quite as interesting as say a Hades or um, uh, an Enter the Gungeon or any other sort of roguelike of this nature. Um, that said, I had fun with it. It's very a very cute game. Um, the graphics are really fun uh, and and adorable in a grotesque way. Um, and uh, it's like it's it's very easy to play. It's kind of one of those. Um, I guess it's sort of like comfort foodish. It's like very easy to get into, but like once you're playing for a few hours, you're like, mm, this is kind of like it's McDonald's. It's you're not getting a lot of nutrition out of this thing. It's just easy. It goes down easy, but like it's not really going to leave you super satisfied at the end of it. That's ultimately my takeaway from Cult of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. What did you think, Kirk? I think this is an interesting game. Yeah, I'm not in love with it or I have not fallen in love with it. I do think that there are some interesting tensions between the two styles of game that this is. And part of me is just was a little bit disappointed that it wasn't a cult management sim in the way that I was sort of imagining when I first heard the pitch about it, just because like a lot of people, I really like all of the sort of cult media that's out there, the documentaries about Heaven's Gate and Jonestown and whatever else. I just find them really interesting. They're these fascinating human stories about you know, charismatic liars and the reasons that people allow themselves to be manipulated. And they're they're so, you know, they're so interesting. And the idea of a game that's playing with some of that, taking it out of the real world and putting it into this abstracted space and then having fun in that space, it's, it could be really cool. I could see that being a cool game. Wait, you're saying that you were disappointed it wasn't about real cults or you're disappointed it wasn't... Yeah, what do you, what do you mean by you're disappointing it wasn't a cult simulator? Well, so there's a fine line between a cult and a religion, right? And this is an ongoing discussion that Emily and I have been having. Maybe even a spectrum is is perhaps how I might Absolutely. And you I mean, when Christianity first started, it kind of seemed like a cult to some people. Mm-hmm. It was this weird new thing that people were doing. It's actually one of the cool world building elements of Assassin's Creed Valhalla <laughs> is the way that people talk about Christianity is it's this weird upstart thing. Who really knows what that's about? And it's fun to see that from our perspective where Christianity, at least in America, is so dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, so There's already that kind of fine line. And then when you look at the sorts of cults that I'm talking about, that I watch documentaries about, those are 20th century cults, a lot from the 1970s, from the sort of cult era, right? And then there are some modern day cults. And those all exist within a sort of civilized society, a quote unquote civilized society. They're sort of, you know, manipulating groups that that use all of these tactics to sort of... Like social media and the internet and all these other newer ways of recruiting people. Right, to recruit. And then they also use a lot of tactics to control their followers. There's just like a lot of stuff there that a video game could really interestingly explore. That's totally not what this game is. And I'm not saying that like <laughs> that it needed to be. I'm not holding well, that against it exactly. It has some elements, though, that I... I think are really cool and horrifying and the fact the fact that they're in the game. That's the part of it that I think is the best and most interesting part of the game is the fact that you get to decide what your followers are going to worship, what doctrines they're going to follow. You're designing an entire religion. I mean, there's there's limited choices of what you get to decide. And Jason, I'm not sure if you played long enough to 
decide all your doctrines, for example, but you do at least have some choice about what people are going to prioritize and what they hold dear and and so on. And like, is death a big part of your cult or is, you know, living forever? What what are the fake promises that you're going to make to people? Those are the parts of the game that I was like, this is really cool. And I wish it was even more unnerving, if anything. It's like, it just kind of glances off the idea of that and then strays back into the cutesy territory. You know what I mean? And I, I wish it just really dove deep into that and was like, no, what you're doing is actually really messed up. And you're taking advantage of all these cute little lamb and oxen, oxen and like deer and cute little animals that you're recruiting to be in your anthropomorphic animal cult. Right. I think I mean, I think that if it had just been the sort of cult management, mm-hmm. environment management, resource management game, it could have focused on that stuff in a way that was interesting. I mean, the story of L. Ron Hubbard inventing Scientology is such a fascinating story because this guy who was a science fiction author literally sat down and came up with a religion that would be the most effective religion he could think of. He may have done that. We are pretty sure that's what he did. And he did talk about how he wanted to create a religion before he created Scientology, but... We don't okay, know. okay, sure. <laughs> Necessary um, um, ass covering complete. Anyways, yeah, so I think that that's a really interesting process, and you're right that that's an interesting Please part of the scheme that, that you get to. I mean, dude, Scientology is scary, so it's actually probably wanted. Can you just bleep out every time you mention the I was, name? I was talking about yeah. um, Shmayan Shmology, which is, <laughs> which is a theoretical totally religion. Thing. Um, anyways, so yeah, that idea is cool, and in this game, it is it is interesting that you get to choose different things to focus on, and that the ways that they affect your followers, or at least that I gather they can affect your followers, is cool, but a lot of it intersects with the dungeon crawling crusades mm-hmm. part of the game, because that's the design of the game, is that these two types of game are sort of working in concert with one another, and sometimes in tension with one another in a way that is cool and it gives this game a distinct identity despite the fact that it really is like Hades meets Animal Crossing and you just put those two together and that's the (laughs) elevator pitch. It gives it a unique identity because those two things are very different. For me, the appeal of a game like Hades or I've been playing Rogue Legacy 2 a little because I hear such good things, the appeal about that kind of game is that is actually the impermanence. It used to be the thing I didn't like about roguelikes. Now it's the fact that I can play the game and I just sort of go through it a bunch of times. And I know no matter how I'm doing, if I die, I'm just going to do it again. And there isn't really a, a feeling of having to manage too much or take care of too much. And that's the opposite of the appeal of a game like Animal Crossing, where everything is kind of more permanent and cyclical. And it's not stressful exactly, but it's more of you have more responsibilities. There's more of a schedule. And then in something like uh, Stardew Valley, it's like actually kind of stressful because you have a fixed schedule that you're trying to stick to and maximize. So they're really different kinds of games. And there is a tension for me sometimes where the sort of disposability and the just fun of a roguelike is running up against the responsibilities, the day-night cycle, the schedule, the hunger, the cleanliness of my camp, and all these things I'm trying to maintain. And I struggle sometimes to gear shift between the two. And then I think that some of the things like we were talking about, some of the sort of topical, like uh, the, the, the thematic content of the game in what it's saying about how a religion works and how manipulating people works, like those are also a little bit undercut by the fact that all of the decisions you're making about your religion are also supporting the gameplay of the dungeon crawling and the power-ups that you get and that kind of thing, which is kind of less interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's not really clear whether it is making that statement. I mean, 
it isn't very overt. I did feel at various points, like when the management sim part was going really well, I would just be like, oh, great. Running a cult is super easy and working great for me because I really have everybody in their proper job right now. Everything's really well balanced. I'm really splitting my time well between the crusade and managing everybody. And it just, everything's going great for me. But I, I feel like the, the, better part of the game or the more uh, compelling part of the game is when those two things aren't in concert with each other, either because just a string of bad luck happens and like several people die in a row or something else happens, like something goes wrong and just everybody gets mad at each other. Or there's like a dissenter There's one of the sort of plot lines that can happen and they're starting to convince everyone that you're evil and there's like mm-hmm. a cult within a cult developing that you have to tamp down on. I was very sad I had to build a prison. That really is the only way that you can get rid of <laughs> of dissenters i thought that was well you could sacrifice them you can sacrifice them i that's a good point i chose not to do that there were some i was trying to be a really nice cult leader Mm. i was really trying to be compassionate about it and and i every time my followers asked me if it was okay for them to eat poop i told them it wasn't okay and i didn't (laughs) let them do it i don't know if you guys let them do it there were a few things that i was just like there are some lines we don't cross here in my cult and eating poop is one of those lines it's well there's a quest where they make you the guy makes you like give i refused it ah okay he turned it i refused it every time Ah. And they ask you again and again. Jason. Oh wow! Well, because it's like <laughs> I think you're meant it's to like do a the quest. quest. No, I it's like, I it's only it was happens. only once for me, but I did it, and then it went away. It's recurring for mm-hmm. you because you're not doing. I'm it. never going to do it. I'm never going to do it. Um, I I didn't sacrifice anybody, but I did do some other things that I was like, I don't feel great about this like i switched from graves to composting bodies and was like do people are people really getting closure because of this i was really (laughs) really concerned about my little animals kirk to your point i actually feel the opposite from you and i actually feel like the two of these genres mash up pretty well together um maybe because it's i'm more the type of person who like likes a level of permanence in their roguelikes to the point where like i enjoy it when you're accumulating things like permanent things that you can then keep over time just to be clear there i I actually do think they work well together they are just in tension in some ways that are interesting okay well Mm -hmm. so so for me the tension of like going out there and being like okay i'm gathering stuff that i can bring back and then when i do my management sim correctly uh i can boost up my levels and or whatever make myself more powerful for the expeditions that to me that that's a a a ten a a, co- a combination that I enjoy, and that's like a classic combination. It goes all the way back to like Act Razor on the Super Nintendo, among other games. It's kind of like the the your your uh, <laughs> what is it? Uh, a lady on the streets and a freak in the sheets. Uh, that's the, <laughs> the that's how I would define this. Yeah, genre. from Usher's. Yeah, yeah, that's the song what it should, we uh, all know and love. That's what it should be called. Uh, that's what this genre should be called. Like in the yeah. <laughs> at home, mm-hmm. you're a talent. You're running your town, and then you go mm-hmm. out. And, night and, and then you freak. go out and you're a freak and you're collecting <laughs> resources like a that, freak would do. That's this genre. The genre will be called <laughs> Lady on the Sheets and a Freak on the Streets. Um, no, Lady it's on the Streets. It's supposed to be the other way, the by the way. <laughs> but I love that you've gotten it wrong. <laughs> 
what I don't like is that the action part of this game is just not very satisfying. Like once you've gone through it a oh, couple yeah. times, you've seen it uh, all. And I think the biggest failure there is just a lack of good weapons. Um, hmm. The best roguelikes give you a lot of cool different powers that you can experiment with, a different a bunch of different weapons you can play around with, because you need to kind of liven up that repetitive gameplay of fighting the same monsters over and over again by um, by being able to do it in different ways. And Enter the Gungeon mm-hmm. is a prime example of that. Returnal is another good example of that. Hades is obviously the, the most kind of quintessential roguelike that that I've played at least um, and this game really really lacks that and I think that is really what made me bounce off it the most that I'm getting sick of like having to pick berries and pumpkins and stuff but uh, but really it's the action part just like did not do it for me yeah yeah I think that the action part has got to be so difficult to get right I mean Supergiant Games the makers of Hades made so many games before Hades and each of their games to their credit are great I mean their first game Bastion was shockingly good yeah. for a first game yeah, those, but those I mean are, talk about freaks to those developers yeah they're 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 a hell of a studio <laughs> but I mean Hades is this kind of culmination of everything they'd been doing for so mm-hmm. many years and yeah I mean it's like an impeccably designed action game and that just is a really hard thing to pull off um, Massive Monster is not I gather a huge studio so it has to be pretty hard to like get all of this going considering I'm pl- I was playing the game and there's that pretty fun dice game what's it called that you can play uh-huh. with yeah. the one guy out rattle in the world I was like, something. yeah, yeah Rattlebones I think it's yeah. called yeah it is there's pretty there's kind fun. of a lot in this game considering um, how it you know it kind of feels like an indie game they've, they've really put a lot into it mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be surprised if this team keeps making games if they get better at the action but I do agree with you that you know it's a Hades is a high bar to compare oh, yeah. it to Absolutely. but, but that's it, it what does exists. fall short like, of that bar yes. it might be unfair to be like yes the small team they can't really compare it to Supergiant but like that's what is there and as a player right. you can't be like wow I feel bad for these I mean I guess you can but like it doesn't make the action more <laughs> <You> enjoyable <can't>. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. it doesn't I felt like the management sim was deceptively well done for what it's worth I think it's pretty well designed if you were to keep playing it you can find ways to get other people to pick your pumpkins for you I don't know if you got no I I have okay okay fair enough (laughs) I have them all farming for me but they don't Uh get to when when they plant the seeds and water them but they don't actually pick it they I have to go and pick it like unless I'm missing well, something. Yeah, there is a way to get them to pick it when oh, you okay. level everything up. Oh, but it's fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then everything there, yeah. is done for you. Yeah, you just have to keep maintaining those... all the machinery, which is of course its own entire job. It's very there were definitely some moments where I was like, Maddie, you're a boss at work and you're playing being <laughs> you're a boss simulator. Like uh, what are you <laughs> doing with your life? Yeah. Like you're just walking around making sure all of your, your reports are doing okay and like Giving everybody's happy and like uh, like giving them giving them gifts uh-huh. and then also extorting tithes from them, which really feels bad after. Which you also do at Polygon. You extort tithes from your sacrifice some of them to I pay them and then I take their money away. Which is also kind of how this game works because you're you're providing for them and then you're taking things away from them at the same time. But I just I wasn't sure if the game really was quite confident enough in those kinds of bittersweet commentaries that it's making, which I, I, again, those are my favorite parts. It's the fact that it feels kind of 
a little bittersweet to be running a cult. And I'm like, mm-hmm. maybe it should feel slightly more bitter than sweet. I don't know if it should be this rewarding. Or maybe it's like Katamari, where it's like the actual message of the game is that capitalism and consumption is bad, but it's going to feel really, really good to do. So you have to just constantly be careful with it. And power corrupts and and all that. And, and this game feeling kind of good is actually the lesson at its core. <laughs> you know, a lot of these kinds of games put you in the, a similar position to this one without stating explicitly that you're a cult leader. I mean, in <laughs> yeah. Animal Crossing, you, you are, are a kind cult of leader a cult Crossing. leader. I mean, everyone wants to be your best friend. They all do what you say. Like, you kind of arrange where they're going to live. They'll just be like, oh, yeah, I'll move you're to a right. new house because you <laughs> told me to. That's so weird. <laughs> So and it it leads to the kind of the thing I was saying at the very beginning where cults are really interesting but I don't know man being a cult leader like I guess that's interesting it's also like a pretty uh, abstract mindset to try to get yourself into to try to imagine being the L. Ron Hubbard or you know yeah, wh- yeah, whoever yeah. else um, and it being a cult member <laughs> could be kind of interesting there's this do you I don't know if either of you played day De- I think it was Deus Ex. I think it was Mankind Divided. There's a quest where you have to get someone out of a cult and you're like sneaking into this cult, you know, headquarters and you're talking to cult members. And I feel like it's not the only RPG that's done that. But I'm always kind of I'm fascinated by those systems and generally view them with a lot of suspicion and want to help people get out of cults. But there's so much. I don't know. There's a lot here. And it's kind of funny that this kind of game, like the management sim, is really a cult leader type yes. of game. Like it really just lends itself to that. It well, is. Kirk, but you're you're playing as a coerced cult leader. Like you're not choosing to start a cult. You are being forced oh, right. to do. So this. it's actually fine. I think that's an important point, though. <laughs> that in this world, the the deity exists and appears to you and like tells you what to do, well, and it's a real thing. But you're not. But it's not only that the deity exists. The deity has forced you to do all of this. So it's not like you right. can really psychologically get in the head of somebody in the real world who would decide who would like right. who has the the brain chemistry that makes them want to run a cult like that's not what because you're a, you're like a thrall essentially in this game well sure <laughs> though the, I would say the game still kind of makes you think about that stuff even though narratively like the textual interpretation is that this person is enthralled to a, a deity as a player you're still kind of thinking like well I just think of all of my followers as interchangeable like chaff that I can sort of mm-hmm. use at will and just send to do my bidding and you kind of do have that 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 mentality toward your followers. Right. Where you start being like, well, this one's old, so if I sacrifice them, that's fine. Or like, who do I want to give the most powerful necklaces to? And who's Uh the most valuable person to me? And do I want to marry more than one person? That can cause problems. Like, if you you view everybody in that way, which, of course, the game is encouraging you to do. Yeah. Right. I think the game could encourage that a little bit more than it does. Like, I think about the character design and the designs of the followers. Did either of you spend much time on the customization so when you get a new Mm -hmm. to explain this when you get a new follower in your cult you indoctrinate them you go and you sort of convert them to your religion and they pretty much willingly do because they were usually like about to be killed or something and you just (laughs) brought them in it's not really like you're convincing someone to leave their day job and give you all their savings or it's It's a boss yeah that comes later (laughs) right or it's a boss so you convert them to your to your you know your religion and then 
you can pick their name and you can pick their appearance and you their can kind of appearance. customize everything about them. You can completely remake every physical attribute of Right, but I found that to be pretty shallow and I never really did. I just sort of oh, went I with did. whatever the random thing. Oh, so you did. Okay. Yeah. So how was that? And it's super weird because okay. you're they are so happy. Like the animation after they like become a completely new being, they're like <laughs> so wide-eyed and like, oh my God, thank you, master. Like I'm so excited about this, this completely different appearance you've given me i only did it a couple times and i was like this is weird i don't like that they're so excited about it but i agree with you i i wanted the game to push me into that uncomfortable zone more often because i just i don't know i like it when a game makes me think obviously and so of course i could just easily refuse the poop quest every time and i've just been doing that and i'm like but what would happen if my followers rioted and they were like maddie we want to eat poop and you won't let us and this cult is over (laughs) unless you let us do it i would be like okay i guess i guess we're doing this now and there are some quests that are a little bit like that like when you're deciding the doctrines there is something where every decision is kind of bad and you're like, well, okay. So either I'm okay with elders and I celebrate them, which like that's, I I can't remember all the different doctrines, but like Mm -hmm. some of them are pretty positive, but then others of them are like just two different kinds of sacrifices that you have to give or just the both, both halves of, of it are bad. And that's interesting. And I wish, I wish more of that were part of it. And I just had to make more crappy decisions. Like the best parts were the parts where I'd be like on a crusade and I'd realize everything was going to shit. And I had to like leave the crusade halfway through and be like, oh, my God, I have to go take care of my little followers. Yeah. I, I mean, is that I didn't get the sense that the stakes really matter that much. Like it doesn't really matter well, yeah. if there's poop everywhere and people are hungry, like because you can just and go sick. and yeah. fix things. Like, can you lose? I mean, can you can you lose all your followers? And then the one who waits comes for you and it's like you've failed as a cult leader and you're dead now. Like. Like what? I didn't experience that. I don't know. I didn't get it. I didn't get a sense that it mattered, and I got a sense that like there would be dissenters no matter what, and you can always find a way to get rid of them. One system, mm-hmm. by the way, I didn't mention before is that you can actually turn followers into like demons that will accompany yes, you on your missions. Yes, I did missions, that too. Yeah, um, which I haven't played around helpful. with too much, but that's an, another cool mechanism and I should say like I'm only like halfway through the skill tree or something like that so there might be some cooler stuff unlocked later on maybe even stuff that makes uh, the action parts more fun and more engaging no. but no sorry okay, but I no. never really thought the action parts got better if yeah. anything I was like this is a really cool management sim that is unfortunately also a roguelike <laughs> right that does I mean that gets to some of the recommendation I was making to Emily when I heard about the game I was yeah. like oh, dude because we've been watching all these cult movies and, and yeah like, I was like, there's a new cult management sim that's like Animal Crossing, but you're running a cult. And her response was, sign me up. And then I started (laughs) playing it. And I was like, oh, this is kind of a difficult roguelike as well. Or at least a sort of challenging thing, which I know there's difficulty settings. or I think Mm -hmm. there are. But like it's it's kind of not her jam as much like that kind of game, which is, I guess, just the risk you take when you combine two pretty different genres. You know, the the reward is that you get something that is really distinct and can really work well and be cool. But the the risk is that people who really like one and really like the other might yeah. kind of be turned off because they don't want to play a management sim or an, an action-based roguelike. Wasn't mm-hmm. there a game called Cultist Simulator? Isn't that like what you're looking for, Kirk? I don't <laughs> Probably. Remember. 
I don't know. Well, so I want to be clear that I'm not saying I wish this game had been a totally different game or had been. <laughs> Nor are you saying you plan on founding a cult and that you're really interested in that. Also That's something that, you're no. not saying. Definitely not something Wink. I've sat around with my friends and talking about how, <laughs> what kind of a cult we would design if, if we uh-huh. were to design a cult. That's a normal thing to talk about, right? <laughs> totally. No, it's it's more just that the cultiness of this game was a different flavor of cultiness than I was expecting. You know, the kinds of cults that I'm so interested in, which are the kinds of things that this game is teasing at and making me think about are a little bit different than the cult that's actually depicted in the, you know, in the game when you play it. Mm-hmm. Although it did make me think about just the choice to have the cult member be a character that you're playing, because a lot of management sims, um, well, I, I mean, I guess I'm thinking of something like The Sims where you're just this godlike being right, or, and you or don't black really and white, exist. like a literal god game. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Well. And you're... I guess, arguably, a cult leader for all of your sims, but the game isn't positioned in that way. But also, you can torture them, and people absolutely enjoy doing that or, like, forcing their sims. I think in part because you are not a human being in the game. You don't exist. You are just this otherworldly force that can cause things to happen in the game and then just see what the effects are. But by having you be a character in the game and Animal Crossing is similar, it it automatically makes you feel like there needs to be a justification for everything that you're Mm -hmm. doing. And in Cults of the Lamb, they get around that by having you be enthralled to this like actual literal demon as opposed to just being like, I'm going to start a cult. And also I'm an adorable lamb. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. doesn't factor into it. It's you're sympathetic. Everyone's sympathetic. You're enthralled, enthralled, enthralled to the game. There's layers of being enthralled. Uh, But in an Animal Crossing, you're just a cult leader, but nobody's calling it that. It's just that everybody thinks you're their new best friend and it's really fun and cool. I just feel like this game would be... Are you the mayor of the town or no? You're not the mayor are you no you're not no you're just a guy who lives there and there's you're just a mayor. guy I don't you're know. just the I coolest guy I ever can't remember all the titles of like isabel and tom nook i think they yeah. maybe isabel is the mayor i know you're heavily in debt that's all i know about <laughs> you're heavily in debt until you're thinking. not anymore it's similar though i mean tom nook f- fulfills the role of the god in animal <laughs> crossing right he is basically the, he is the, the <laughs> you are indebted to him and you do have to keep visiting him right. and instead of crusades in animal crossing you're just going to other islands and like shaking them down for resources endlessly. Well, that's just, just the no newest one. <laughs> that's only the newest one. The other ones. Don't. Well, I'm saying that's the one I've played. Well, it's it's really not that different though. And I mean, sure. In Stardew Valley, you know, you're going through the mines and and fighting things and picking things up. Like this right. has been introduced in some way or another to a lot of these games. So Stardew Valley is also a game where you're a lady in the streets and a freak in the sheets. You are, you're right. a freak in the mines anyways if you yeah. can not go too far down and past your bedtime and fall asleep down there which happened to me a lot. <laughs> That's so scary. It's funny, yeah, these games all put you in the position of middle management because the God game, I mean, is literally a genre of game. It's sort of fallen out of favor but it was pretty big in the sort of 90s and 2000s. Games where you are an omniscient being and you're sort of building a world for simulated NPCs to live on and yep. you're in that role. This is very different where, yeah, you're middle management. You're sort of the mm-hmm. you're the senior manager, senior editor or whatever, of, <laughs> if you like, <laughs> of, your, of this little is town. Is this like the equivalent of the datification of games where now enough developers have had middle management jobs that they're now <laughs> making games about middle management and also parenting? 
<laughs> right. where they're like, oh, this is this is what it's like to be in charge of a small team of people and how stressful it is. But also it's fun and rewarding in its own ways when we succeed together. It it's does true. kind of feel like that's what this game is about. I, I would be curious if this game has multiple endings and how it ends. And none of us have finished it. But I do wonder, how does a religion end? I mean, how yeah. does any religion end? Does a religion end? Like that is actually a really interesting question. And mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing that you could actually provide an answer to in a video game, which is probably the only place you're really going to get that short of, you know, I mean, a lot of cults just end super badly, but that's kind of a a different, you know, a different thing. But maybe this game plays with that. I mean, maybe it goes there. I actually don't, don't really know. But your goal, well, your goal is to beat the other prophets and like destroy Mm -hmm. their cults. So like presumably at the end, if you get the best victory, then you're the only remaining cult. And so you're the, 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 like top yeah. the most powerful cult hegemonic political ramification of your world yeah but is there some element of discord or ambiguity mm-hmm. introduced to the idea of vanquishing all other religions and your religion <laughs> becomes the dominant one like i it would be not surprise me if this game doesn't just present that as hell yeah you did it everyone is your religion you win and there's mm-hmm. maybe something a little bit more sinister going on and i think that's something that none of us have seen but may well be there at the end and, and does make me curious about how this game ends even if I don't know if I'll play it to the end. Mm-hmm. Bing! Kirk here. As I edit the episode, I decided to just look up how the game ends since it feels a little unsatisfying for us all to just sort of not know. And there are a couple possible endings. They're not super provocative, but they're kind of cool. Um, I appreciate at least the way that it looks like it ends. And it does sort of leave some interesting uh, ground for them to explore in the future. Okay, anyways, just wanted to mention that. Back to the show. Bing! Speaking of the end, it's worth noting here, especially if people are interested in this game and like think it sounds cool enough to go check out. It's a very buggy game, especially in the second half. Oh yes, um, we should mention that that it's yeah. it's not not a polished game. It's a game that has a lot of a lot of um, no issues, crashes. I've gotten for sure. Yeah, it bums me out that it doesn't run better. I'm playing it on Steam Deck, and I gather this is also an issue on PC. And I know the Switch. I've seen people saying the Switch has a lot of issues. There's it has that micro stutter thing mm-hmm. that usually I can live with, but but it's the thing where it's running great. And this game, you know, the it's a sort of pop-up coloring book style. It's not the yeah. kind of game. Gorgeous. It's a, it's perfect for Steam Deck. Oh, it's yeah. like the, the kind of game. Oh, yeah, the art is really cool, by really the way. Cool, it looks great. lovely looking. And it's not the kind of thing you would imagine would be super taxing. So it runs really smooth and it's pretty responsive. And then it just like... It, it just like lags for a second and like zips around every 10 seconds. This is just for me, but I've seen a lot of people complain about this. And it really is a shame that that kind of thing, and then I gather much more significant bugs that sort of halt your progress and cause the game to crash can also happen just because like it, I'm sure at some point I would assume they'll patch all of that stuff and fix it. And that might be the time to play it if you do think this sounds cool, like, like Jason is saying. So yeah, I'll Mm-mm. second that. I could also see this being a scenario... And I think I said this about Loop Hero, too, for the same reason where the sequel is going to be the game that really polishes mm. up the combat design, the weapon choice, gives you weapons you can actually level up, makes the management sim stuff a bit tighter earlier on mm-hmm. so that people can really understand how to min-max their cult quickly. And then also maybe in the sequel, you're like... a up-and-coming cult that has to overtake the cult of the lamb, which has become the hegemonic domination. Oh, like a Diablo 2 style Yeah, something like that. I just feel like, I don't know the ending of this game, but that seems like a natural jumping-off point if they make another one. And I think this game has done well enough, in part because this is a year where people are really just looking more to indie games because Mm -hmm. there aren't that many major releases, so stuff like this has really popped. I've seen a lot of people playing this, so 
I think it's possible they could make another one. I think that's very true. This does feel like it could be like iterated on into a super awesome game. Like this, the formula is is strong, and they just have a few things that they need to improve. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I could totally see that. And they could make it way more disturbing too. That'd be <laughs> cool. I love do. it if this game were I hope more they disturbing because yeah. it should be. It should be. It's so adorable, but it's mm-hmm. almost like they're afraid to to get out of the adorable box and I'm like no make it really weird like I'm already cleaning up poop constantly just go ahead right. and get really really weird make me care it. even more about my followers so I feel worse <laughs> yeah but it really yeah. just needs weird cult sex like that's a the sequel should <laughs> honestly <laughs> I feel like they're on the verge of that because they included like the, the mm-hmm. polygamy stuff and I'm like make that really weird like make my followers like really fight over me like I don't mm-hmm. know get get real strange with it that's what Kirk wants so yeah cult of the lamb too <laughs> can't wait <laughs> Also, it should be set in Portland, Oregon, uh, (laughs) and you should should be a musician who also does Mm -hmm. podcasts. Uh, That's a pretty popular podcast, but it could be a lot more popular. Right? It could. It it needs more followers. It needs more Max Fun members in order to become a Max Fun member, guys. Oh my God! Wait, you guys are we running a cult right now? Oh no! I don't want to think about that too hard. So. Let's take a break and then come back (laughs) with one more thing, shall we? Hey, kid. Your dad tell you about the time he broke Stephen Dorff's nose at the Kids' Choice Awards? In Dead Pilot Society, scripts that were developed by studios and networks but were never produced are given the table reads they deserve. When I was a kid, I had to spend my Christmas break filming a PSA about angel dust. So yeah, being a kid sucks sometimes. Presented by Andrew Reich and Ben Blacker. Dead Pilot Society, twice a month on MaximumFun.org. You know, the show you like, that hobo with the scarf who lives in a magic dumpster. (laughs) (laughs) Doctor Who? Yeah. We are back with one more thing, and I think all of us are watching television shows. Jason, why don't you go first? Because we're going in chronological order, and you've chosen something from ancient history. Yeah, the ancient (laughs) days of 2015, uh, back back when... It really does feel like a different world, though. Barack Obama was president. Anytime I play something from the Obama (laughs) years, I'm like, I don't even know who these people are. I don't know who I was then. I don't know who anyone was. It's wild, yeah. I don't know who Charlie Cox is. Um, I actually, I I did read a book, but it's a book we'll be discussing in a few weeks, so uh, that's not yes. my one more thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've been watching the TV show Daredevil that was on Netflix back in 2015, and it's so interesting rewatching. I watched, um, I think I watched all of it. Maybe I just watched the first couple of seasons back when they aired. This was before, yeah, of course, the MCU really came to TV. So the idea of these shows back then was that, like, it was after the Avengers. It was like during phase two of Marvel stuff, but Marvel basically said, hey, Netflix, you can do your own thing. And so Netflix made these four shows, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, um, and Iron Fist. Is that the other You one? know, that other yes. four. That one? Iron yeah. something. Definitely the, the least well-remembered <laughs> um, of the four. And then, like, merged them all together into The Defenders, which is, like, the Netflix version of The Avengers. Anyway, Daredevil was really the best. Jessica Jones season one was also incredible. But Daredevil was really the strongest for a number of reasons, one of which being that Charlie Cox is Daredevil and then... Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin just like stole the show every time they were, especially Vincent D'Onofrio, every time he was on, on screen, he just totally completely captured your, your attention. Um, 
But because this was like the pre MCU TV show days, the shows just feel so much different than like today's Marvel shows. So I've been rewatching Daredevil season one. I kind of on a whim after Marvel announced that they're like bringing Daredevil back, and I've always been meaning to rewatch it because I remember really enjoying it. I've been rewatching Daredevil season one. It's so good and is yeah. like so dark and interesting and explores all these interesting themes and is just like ex- extremely well ex- executed, um, well written, well shot. It just like feels really cool, um, and it just feels so different than any of the Marvel shows, which really just I, it's hard to if I were more of a film buff I might be able to like put my finger on this if I were a film critic or something but like there's something that like feels for lack of a better word bubble gummy about every single Marvel show even the darker <laughs> ones even like Moon Knight yeah. there's yeah. something that it, they all have this sparkle. feel this kind of machine made feel there's something about them that just like feels they were like they were made in a factory even Miss Marvel which I really enjoyed as I talked about a couple of weeks ago on our on our latest Beans cast um, I really enjoyed that show but like even that it just has a certain feel it has the the Whedon style quippy dialogue it has the certain look to it it has the visual effects that like you know are Marvel. On the other hand, you watch Daredevil and it feels like it could be up there with like prestige TV. Like it feels like a genuinely great TV show. Everything about it, it's just like the the script, the the way it looks, the way it feels, the acting, the performances are really good. The action. The action is action really cool. That, Man, I, I just show. watched so I've only watched a couple episodes so far. You see that big one But that, the one the, one the iconic scene. one is in episode two, the hallway fight scene, which is just Man, that's some good shit. Astonishing. <laughs> and like I haven't seen anything like that in anything Marvel like in years, right? So um, I'm I, I really recommend like going back and rewatching it, especially if you're getting kind of like Marvel fatigued. Daredevil, man, really, and I'm, I'm gonna rewatch it all, and then I'm gonna rewatch Jessica Jones too because I remember that being awesome. But like those shows, just because they really gave a bunch of talented filmmakers and writers and actors carte blanche to go and make something that felt different. I think it really, they really stand out. And, um, yeah, man, even just a couple episodes into Daredevil season one, and I remember season two and even three, like dragging a little bit and not being quite as good, but, um, a few episodes into season one, it's just like, you really remember like, man, that was a good show. So yeah, Daredevil, very good TV show and Charlie Cox. And then the guy who plays foggy is also amazing. And yeah, the woman he's who plays great. Karen Page is also great. Mighty Ducks, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just really, just really a high quality show and just does not, is really way up above, I think, most of the Marvel stuff we've seen, especially in recent years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, part of it, this is something we talked about in our recent MCU Beans cast, which if you're a member, you can you can listen to. Uh-huh. Um, part of it is the the costume, I think. I love how in season one of Daredevil, he's just wearing like this black just thing a, over yeah, his head. Guy, and he yeah. looks like this scary weirdo. He just doesn't have a costume. And the costume's okay on the Netflix show, but once he puts it on, it's, it was I always found it a little deflating because mm-hmm. he's so much cooler and scarier as just this guy who comes out of nowhere with this thing over his eyes and then just beats the shit out of everybody. Um, Also, I don't know if you guys remember this, but in the first few episodes they don't even introduce Vincent D'Onofrio. He's behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and they have this guy played by Toby Leonard Moore who, Kirk, you will know as Connerty in Billions. Um, Right. Maddie, of course, you also know. No, um, and he <laughs> no, plays he plays this like assistant character who is always talking about my employer, and it's like we don't name him. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it really builds up builds up the suspense and the intrigue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I might rewatch stuff. the whole thing. I never watched season three. Maybe I'll just start from season one and rewatch it. Yeah, I remember really digging it all. So season three, from what I remember, 
I can talk more about this once I've rewatched it all, but from what I remember, season two has no kingpin. Season three brings him back, and that's why season three yep. is seen as like is the almost good as one. good as season one, and season two is not. Season two has like Electra, and it's kind of weird. Um, mm-hmm. Does some weird things. And Punisher, I believe, is in season two as mm, well. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember liking season one of Punisher and season one of Luke Cage, although you didn't yeah. list those, Jason. But I remember thinking like the first seasons of all those shows were really strong, except Iron Fist, mm-hmm. which I didn't watch. Well, Punisher is its own entity. No, <laughs> Luke Cage I, yes. is is part of the four that I mentioned you earlier. Mentioned that. Yeah, but, you yeah, know, yeah, Punisher yeah. did get its own show and is a yeah. spinoff, basically, yeah. of the Netflix universe. Right. Yeah, exactly. it was cool. It was cool. Remember yeah, when bad. superhero shows were different? Yeah. Also, one other thing worth noting is that like MCU, now we're so used to the references everywhere. But in Daredevil, it's very, very subtle. They just mentioned like they hint at the attack in New York and like the incident Mm -hmm. in New York. Which I remember liking. I remember liking that everything had to be so low stakes because Mm -hmm. it's like these are all heroes we've never heard of. So we need there to be a reason why we haven't heard of them. (laughs) So all their Mm -hmm. crimes need to be really personal and just have character drama instead of aliens attacking New York City drama. Exactly. Although Charlie Cox does show up in the most recent Spider-Man movie. He does. Uh, he's well, he's going to get a new And then he's going to get, yeah, and he'll Disney be part yeah. of, maybe he'll be part of the new Avengers. Congrats and to Charlie Cox for getting that Disney money. I hope they bring back a lot of the people who worked on Daredevil because, like, it's it's really, really a good a good crew. I believe Drew Goddard, who is a longtime, like, uh, writer and, and show showmaker oh. for a bunch of, like, Buffy and Angel. Um, mm-hmm. Angel, by the way, hand. a lot of Angel vibes in Daredevil, a lot of like those noirish yeah, detective. Yeah, no, very good thing. Um, Drew Goddard, yeah, is an excellent showrunner for for Daredevil, and yeah, just really enjoying it. Good show. That's cool, Kirk. How about you? So I watched something I'm a little more mixed on that is also a TV show based on a comic book. This is Paper Girls, which is on Amazon. Um, it's based on a recent comic uh, series of comic books by Brian K. Vaughn, illustrated by Cliff Chang that I haven't read but have been aware of because the premise sounds really cool. Uh, a group of girls, sort of preteen girls in the late 1980s who run a paper route, or they each run their own paper routes, wind up getting thrown together into some sort of supernatural uh, you know, adventure. And I thought that seemed like a fun premise. And then the show came out and I watched it. I watched the whole first season. And it's such an interesting thing. I was really kind of mixed on it and I think what I come where I come down is that I think the source material is really strong and the adaptation was just underfunded and undersupported. I think that's where I come down on it in the end, which has been a while since it felt like one of these shows could have been great if Amazon had just put more money into it, but that's kind of what it feels like. They're just so this show is is uh, got a lot of time travel. It's got a lot of really wacky hijinks. There's giant robots and dinosaurs and stuff that turn up. It gets really weird toward the end because it is a supernatural, you know, sci-fi adventure. But it's a pretty grounded story, and it's primarily about these four girls who wind up traveling through time and meeting various versions of themselves throughout their lives and possible futures that they could have. And it winds up dealing with some really cool character stuff. Like, it's really like thought-provoking and interesting in the way that Bran K. Vaughn tends to be. He's kind of good at writing those kinds of stories. And so I, I was realizing toward the end, I'm like, man, I'm really into these characters and I, I like what they're doing by making people confront death in interesting ways and confront disappointment and what is destiny and what is time. Like, it's not so much the mechanics of time travel as it is the personal stakes of seeing your life and maybe even seeing your death and that kind of thing. Really cool. And then the show itself just looks 
bad. Like it, every scene is like shot in just some sort of gray building or on a street at night in a suburb or in a sort of, you know, a sort of mobile home at a construction site. And there's some CGI stuff, but it doesn't look good. Like there are some scenes with like CGI creatures that look like Power Rangers level. Like it really just looks like they didn't have the time. They didn't have the support. They didn't have the money to make something that would be kind of as appealing as it needed to be. And I'm not sure, I mean, I've looked at the, what the comics look like and I they take place a lot in the suburbs and in sort of, you know, boring, I guess, quote unquote, boring suburban Midwestern settings, but the comics are beautiful looking and the art style is beautiful. And it just makes me, I don't know, it, it left me kind of frustrated that the show didn't get the sort of uh, vision behind it or the support to make that vision become real, given that, the premise and the ideas and the characters are still really cool. So I do recommend it as something to watch. I mean, it's if that sounds cool to you, like it's a, it's a cool show, if a little frustrating, and maybe if a lot of people watch it, they'll you'll give it some more support for season two. Um, but yeah, I can't quite put my finger on, I mean, it's a number of things, so it's hard to put your finger on, you know, a number of things because it isn't just one thing. But uh, there's just something. It could have been animated. It could have had a different look. It could have been approached differently. And um, I think it would have held together a little bit better. Uh, but I, I still did like it overall. Did you feel like the acting was good? I think the acting was, it was a little bit of a mix. Some of the characters are good and some of the actors are good. There are times where it's still, that's the same feeling really, where I'm like, this just kind of feels like they didn't take the time with this scene to really crack it and to get all the actors kind of on the same page and really delivering and kind of working it out. Like it feels a little rushed and even the acting at times feels rushed, but the actors do a good job with it. In fairness, mm-hmm. Amazon doesn't have a lot of money, so you got to cut them some slack. <laughs> it is funny watching the trailers for that Lord of the Rings thing that's coming up and being like, couldn't just like 5% of the budget for this have gone to make Favorite Girls a little bit, have a little more zazz, you know, yeah. be a little better looking? Well, that's where it all went. That's the problem. Um, yeah, I guess so. And it kind of seems Bezos like had to it. had to like knock down that bridge to move his yacht from one place to another. Right? <laughs> 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 it's funny because I also watched an Amazon show that, I have some issues with that I'm now wondering if they were similar reasons. So I Mm. watched A League of Their Own, which is a TV series version of the movie of the same name with Gina Davis and Tom Hanks. And my main memories of the movie are that it's a really fun sports story. And yes, there is a sort of will they, won't they between Gina Davis and Tom Hanks, but that isn't really the part of the movie that you're supposed to care about. And it Mm. also feels like it's only in the movie for titillation reasons and not because that was a romance that ever really happened. And the whole point of the movie is that it's an amazing baseball story. And you're like, oh my God, are the Rockford Peaches going to win or not? All Mm -hmm. these women are playing baseball professionally because, you know, it's World War II and men aren't playing professional baseball really. So women get to do it. I mean, like, that's, that's the point of it. So A League of Their Own, the TV series... All that stuff I said is not the point of it. Mm. (laughs) So throw all that in the trash. That's not what the show is about. Yes, it's about the Rock for Peaches and women playing baseball during World War II times. But this is actually uh, very serious and at times quite sad and disturbing portrayal of what it's like to be a queer woman in the 1940s when it was like illegal to exist at that time period. And Abby Jacobson stars in it as Carson Shaw, who's this woman who's married, but, uh, well, they don't actually say she's a lesbian, but that's how I would interpret her character arc. She likes her husband a lot, 
but she sort of has this moment of self-discovery where she falls in love with one of her teammates on her baseball team. And the experience of falling in love and discovering queerness is sort of positioned as the same as being a woman who likes baseball. And baseball is like barely on this show, which Mm. I'm a little disappointed about. Like, I can't believe I'm here saying like, boy, I'm really sad this is a queer love story. But like, it would be kind of cool if there was a little more baseball. <laughs> like, do you That's guys funny. get what I'm saying? Like, no, sure. It's like, like the sports show. Not, it's not a sports show. Like Ted Lasso or, or Friday yeah, Night Lights where like, you want a little sports in there. There's so much, like, queer character drama and, like, moments that, like, made me, like, you know, tear up. And, like, these characters are really facing some significant hardships. Like, they're going to queer bars that are getting busted by the cops. And, like, people are getting gay bashed. And, like, there's all these serious horrible things are happening and there's this whole other storyline where there's like this black woman who really wants to be part of the team and she ends up becoming a part of the negro leagues and i like did all this research on my own because i was just fascinated by this and there were three women who played in the negro leagues during this time period and like the show is basing the storyline on that which is really cool and she's also queer and like that's a part of her scenario so it's like almost every single female character in this show is queer but again, the show is not about baseball. It's just hmm. not. And like, that's fine. I think it's a really rad show about queer women in the 1940s. I don't know if it needs to be a league of their own. I don't know if it needed to be a baseball show. But like, it is. And every time there's occasional baseball scenes, I'm like, this is so exciting. <laughs> I love the baseball. <laughs> I don't know. I still really like the show. I think people should yeah. watch it. I wonder now if maybe Amazon just didn't give them enough money to show like big crowd scenes. Also, it was filmed during COVID. Right. So I'm, I know that was a big concern with production. So I'm kind of wondering. I wonder that about Paper Girls too, is like maybe all the scenes have five people because of COVID. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of really deep, intense scenes between like two women <laughs> or like three <laughs> or four women. And right. that's kind of the entire show. <laughs> so like, if that sounds rad to you, the actresses are all fucking amazing. I mean, Abby Jacobson is the best. She's so, incredibly yeah. great. She really yeah. carries the show. But, like, they have these other two women who are, like, two Mexican players and they have to, like, pretend to be Spanish because, like, everybody's supposed to be all American and they have this whole storyline mm. and I loved them. I don't know. The show's really cool in terms of just character building, but I do wish it had more sports drama. That's all. Anyway. I guess we all three went. <laughs> the moral of this one more thing is Amazon should spend more money. <laughs> we all need to support Amazon, guys. Everybody, Are please, they, they be need okay? your money. <laughs> <laughs> please. How else will we get appropriately expensive-looking content? Oh, my goodness. Well, it's not going to uh, come from HBO and Warner Brothers, which is just axing apparently everything. Not. Apparently, yeah, not. apparently not. Apparently not. Apparently ah. not. There is that new Game of Thrones show. It's true. Mm, the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, because you love to have the rings true. right next to the words the rings. It's true. We can never have too many rings in a title. Anyway, we all have to go talk about another TV show. Please we do. become a Maximum member so you can hear us talk about it. Maximumfun.org slash join. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you all next week. See you next week. See you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. 
Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPods and email the TripleClick at MaximumFun.org and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Right, if anybody's still there, this is Kirk after I edited the episode. And I just wanted to acknowledge that moment when we were talking about the year 2015. And then Jason and I both simultaneously with the exact same inflection said, Barack Obama was president. And that was not planned. That just sort of happened. And I just left it in there. And I wasn't going to comment on it. But if you noticed that and you stuck around till the end, um, I just want to say that I'm right there with you. That was an unusual coincidence and possibly a sign that Jason and I have been podcasting together for too long or maybe for just enough. Anyways, thanks for listening to our show. See you next time.